Hi, I'm Mia, host of the Beauty and the Broken podcast. During our time together, we will hear the stories of what broke us and what healed us, how great beauty can be born out of our brokenness, how our hardest moments in life can lead to moments of growth, how we can find victory even when we feel like we're losing at life. I've personally found great encouragement from people who have been where I have been and survived what I didn't think I could. And that's what I want to bring you here on this podcast. So join me at Beauty and the Broken for real life stories of brokenness and the beauty that can be born in the healing journey. Hi, friends. Today we have a very, very special guest on the show. Beauty and the Broken producer and my husband, Michael. Hello, hello. Hi. Today, we are going to talk about Michael's story of brokenness and healing with really intersects with my story that I shared on our last episode. And we are just going to take some time to talk about what does it look like when someone has to call in on those in sickness and in health part of your vows. So, Michael, thank you for being here today. No problem. And sharing your story. Yeah. So, what was running through your head? So, for those that listened to the last episode, they know that I had a heart attack and quadruple bypass surgery. So, what was running through your head when I woke up that morning? You were, what were you going to do that morning? Yeah, so I was uh, getting ready to go turkey hunting. I was going to wake up a half hour later than... Well, you woke me up, um, and I was supposed to go turkey hunting for the first time ever. I was really excited about it and looking forward to it. And then I ruined your hunting trip. What thoughts were going through your mind as I was panicking? <laughs> really? Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> um, yeah, that was one of the many thoughts. Also, um, after I got over the, the selfishness and realized... That you weren't just making <laughs> up the pain. It, it was real concern because, uh, you know, I think you mentioned in that first episode that you were inconsolable, and that uh, that is an understatement of how you were. Um, you know, when your kid gets hurt, you can hear them and look at them and be like, "Okay, you just you just need to get up and stop being a pansy." Sorry, that's a little harsh. <laughs> Um, but he's never said that to our kid, by the way, (laughs) but there's times where they fall down and they get hurt and you're like, Oh dang, he's really hurt. And that's kind of how it was with you is you were inconsolable. And I'm like, man, this is real. This isn't just, I'm sick or I'm hurting or I don't feel good or I have a cramp. This is real. Yeah. And then you, and you've told me this story before, but when that doctor came out of the cath lab and told you that I was going to have to have quadruple or triple at that point, they thought it was just three bypasses, but triple bypass surgery. Tell us about that moment. Well, first of all, um, he's this little tiny Indian guy. Um, I'm six one. I, I'm not small. I'm not a small person, right? And 
there's this like little tiny Indian guy that I'm literally looking down to um, because of his stature. And it is COVID, as you know, it was talked about. It was May 2020. Things were still pretty new. This guy comes into the waiting room with like snowboarding goggles on and this mask that made him look like a duck. He did himself say he looks like a spaceman in his uh, in his uh, isolation gear. <laughs> so he walks in, and I'm like, "Really, really? Are you serious?" Um, but he said, "We have some good news and some bad news. Good news is we, you know, we figured out what's going on. The bad news is your your wife had a heart attack, and uh, is going to have to have at least three, if not four, um, vessels." bypassed arteries bypassed and he's telling me this and it's like everything just kind of clouded in and and you almost felt like uh like you're watching from a third person like i could see myself in this situation and he's telling me this and i'm hearing it i'm like no you're pulling my leg right and i literally looked turned he's talking to me face to face and i turned my body around to look behind me and both sides of me because i'm like there's no way this is real i'm getting punked there was a tv wasn't it called punked a tv yeah, show yeah yeah on mtv or something yeah. i literally thought i was on that show at that moment because i'm like there's no way this is real somebody's hiding they're gonna pop out and say gotcha and there was nobody. Yeah. And so I turned back around towards him and I said, oh, this is real, huh? He's like, yeah, it's real. Mm. And then you got to see me. I They kind of fudged the rules a little bit. They let you come back to my room and see me um, on the telemetry unit for, I don't it was less than an hour, like half an hour. And then you had to go, like, you had to leave. What, what was that like? I know what it was like for me. Like, that was horrible anxiety. I was alone. I was afraid. I know what it was like for me. What was it like for you? Like, having to just go home and, like, you know, we had our our kid. He was nine, nine at the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What was, I mean, what was that like? Um, hard. Yeah, it, uh, you know, I don't have, I don't have good words for it. Because even now, three and a half, almost four years later, you know, it still brings up very intense emotions around it and I and I, I well up with tears thinking about it. Um it was it was challenging. I was scared. You know, we had been married a few years. What that was two thousand twenty. So we'd been married eleven years. Eleven years. Yeah. Right. Um, sorry, math is struggling, <laughs> but uh, we'd been married eleven years, and I'm like, man, is my wife gonna die? 
Yeah. Am I ever going to see her again? And having to leave you, which I seriously, I know we talked about this. I seriously thought about physically fighting um, the office, the, the hospital staff when they're telling me I have to leave. And uh, I didn't because I realized it was only going to end up <laughs> with me in jail and you stressed out. And that was not good for anybody. But, um, yeah, just the thought of, is my wife going to die? Am I ever going to see her again? Um, because I couldn't be in the hospital with you. The The anger and the sadness of... Um, you having to be alone through all that was a major, a major thing. But you know, I'm I'm a protector. Yeah, yeah, you I'm, are for sure. I'm a justice guy, so like that right there was enough to get me riled up something fierce. But uh, that was a lot of it, and you know, and and going back through your story again through that first episode, I think about. And I blocked out a lot of the feelings and emotions and different things, but telling people. Yeah. Telling your parents. Mm. Um, and I think about that now, and it still gets me emotional because you're my wife, but you're their child. Yeah. And I can't imagine that as a parent. Um. Yeah. Walking I, into your your grandmother, Hiromi, walking into her house after the hospital and both of us just crying. Yeah. Yeah, because she, um, she's already lost one child to what they believe was a cardiac event. So, and I think for me, I was in such like a self-protective place that I think it took me a, probably a year or more to even get to the place where I could be like, man, there, not that I didn't think other people had emotions around it, but like there, you know, you talk about being afraid, like, am I going to lose my wife? I think it took me a while to like come down and realize like there was other people with a lot of emotions. People have come back now and said like, Oh, I was so scared that we were going to lose you. And you know, it, I think in the moment it was just so like, okay, head down, keep moving forward. It took me a while to even be able to process or acknowledge like, Oh, there were other people that had emotions around all of this. Yeah. And it's a, I mean, it's a human bodily function when you get into that danger zone when mm-hmm. you when your life is threatened when you're attacked when something traumatic like that happens literally self-preservation kicks in and you lose like almost all peripheral vision and you're just focused on what you see ahead and that's exactly what you had you you literally lost um understanding and concept of other people's emotions because you were in the fight of your life and all you had to, all you could do is just plow ahead forward. And if you didn't do that, you know, you could have. Yeah. So, yeah. But then that really left you to kind of juggle. I, I feel like you probably got to a place where not only were you trying to process your own emotions, but you were probably trying to carry 
emotions for other people too and juggle other people's emotionality over it all. Well, one of the good things about being a guy, generally guys are the same, not always. Uh, one of the good things and bad things about being a guy and then and then me in particular with um, a lot of my experiences that I've had in, in my life is I'm, I'm very skilled at pushing emotion down. <laughs> I don't know if that's an advantage, but we'll go with it for now. I mean, in this situation, it, it you know, is helpful. It's helpful to a point until you overuse it. At some points, you have to control your emotion traumatic events yeah you have to control your emotion so that you can function yeah you know if if you get in a car accident and you can't control your emotions you might die yeah if you get in a car accident and you can control your emotions then you might be able to function enough to save yourself yeah so yes swallowing your uh your emotions it can be overused and be a very negative thing. But um, in traumatic events, in the initial part of it, a lot of times you have to master those emotions, which means controlling them, which means swallowing them down. Yeah. So that you can get through the trauma um, to function. Now, the bad part of that comes is that is that if you... If you don't give up control of your emotions, once you're past that trauma, when you're at the point where you need to start working through your emotions, and if you just say, nah, I still got to keep these guys under control, well, that's where the issue comes in and the danger comes in with that. Yeah. But yeah, so back to your question, um, you know, I, I had to control them. And so I got in fight or flight mode. I got in trauma mode, similar to you. And I had to move forward. I had people I had to update. Yeah. Family members, close friends. Um, I still had to go to work, thankfully. My employer was uh, very understanding of things. Um, and, you know, I there were some... There were some some things that helped. I can remember your your parents ended up uh, keeping our son for like that week or so mm, at yeah. their house. Um, which part of me says, was that really a good idea? Should you have you know been with your son emotionally or whatever? Um, and maybe, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I, that might have that might have been better. It, maybe I didn't make the right choice, but that did a give me a little bit of freedom um, to connect with some people and go out to dinner with some of my close friends um, and have conversations with people so that I could try to process and work through and have that support. Yeah, absolutely. Because you couldn't be with me in the hospital, but I was coming home. Yeah. And I was coming home incredibly limited. So, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, first of all, you have surgery on your heart. They're cracking your chest open. I had all kinds of precautions, things I couldn't do, lifting limits because of the sternal precautions. But I had, like, no stamina whatsoever because I just had my heart operated on. 
And so you were really looking at taking on a whole new role, not just my husband. It wasn't even that your wife was coming home. This person you had to take care of was coming home. So, like, how did you mentally prepare for that? Or is there a way to even mentally prepare for making that flip in roles from partner to caregiver? You know, you're you're talking and you reminded me of a, we've mentioned this, uh, I had a friend over at the house while you were still in the hospital and we were standing out in the yard. I think I was picking up sticks or something. I don't know. And we were talking and it came up that, I had this realization, you know, you just had your skull, your skull, your chest cracked open, and uh, there were things you weren't going to be able to do. And I'm not, you know, you know this from raising the kid with me, you know, I, I, I don't like fecal matter. <laughs> right? Right. Um, and... You know, I changed my kids' diapers just so nobody out there thinks I'm, you know, a bad bad dad. I did. But, like, I don't like fecal matter. And I had this realization talking with my friend, like, man, she might not be able to wipe her own butt. I might have to do that for her. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Can I do this? I don't think I can do this. <laughs> and he and I are talking, and I'm like, I mean... If I have to, I guess I have to, because what am I going to do? Not wipe my not wipe my wife's butt when she just had her chest cracked open? Well, of course I'm going to. I'm not going to want to, but, like, what kind of man would I be if I didn't take care of her? And so that was kind of the, the thought process for me. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm not a caretaker, like, at all. That's not who I am. That's not my wiring. That's not my gifting. Um, but, you know, for better or for worse, and, and if I have to do something to, to take care of you, then that's what I'm going to do, you know, whether I like it or not, because what kind of person, you know, doesn't take care of their wife when they're sick? Well, thank goodness for occupational therapists because they did train me to wipe my own butt before I left the hospital. So, yes, <laughs> you were, he was pleasantly surprised, very pleasantly surprised uh, the first time I went to the bathroom and wiped myself. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think we even talked about that at that moment. <laughs> Wait, you can do that? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. Never have I seen such a look of relief on my husband. I mean, I was going to, but I'm really glad now. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember um I still remember this moment where it was in those probably those first few days home and you were helping me shower cuz I couldn't safely get in and out of the shower on my own. And I still remember looking at you and apologizing, telling you how sorry I was that you had to take care of me like this. And you were so loving and so gracious. And you just said, I promised you in sickness and in health. And I said, yeah, but you shouldn't have to do it this soon. He said, you said, I didn't say when I'd do it. I'd just say I'd do it. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think that's so powerful because you like you said you're not you're not a caregiver, you're not a caretaker. <laughs> it's not in your wiring, but 
you still, out of love for me, stepped into that. Yeah. I was having a conversation with the guy recently about taking care of himself. And uh, the conversation boiled down to, you know, do you love your kids? Well, yeah, I love my kids. I mean, what would you, what would you do for your kids? I'd do anything for my kids. Well, if you actually would do anything for your kids and take care of yourself because your kids need you, you know, and it, it comes down to who in our relationship, who do I actually love? Do I love you or do I love me? Yeah. Because if I love you, I'm going to sacrifice myself and my desires for your betterment. Now, yes, sometimes my desires feeding into those make you better, right? Make our relationship better. You know, me going to the gym, sacrificing financially, sacrificing time-wise, that sacrifice to our family, for me, helps you and our son. But there are a lot of things that I want or want to do or want to go to or want to spend money on that I don't because even though I want it, it doesn't benefit the family. It doesn't benefit you. So I have to sacrifice those because in the end, I love you more than I love those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times I feel like we miss that a lot in marriage. We miss that a lot in our vows is, you know, we kind of, we say these things and they sound really good on our wedding day, you know, for better, for worse and sickness and in health. And man, when it comes down to that worse or that sickness, like we really, a lot of times people struggle to live up to that. And I think for me, that was really a really beautiful thing that came out of this season is getting to see your commitment to me, getting to see your commitment to our marriage is when you told me, you know, in sickness and in health, you really meant it. I mean, I didn't realize what I was agreeing to at the time. <laughs> Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I mean, nobody does. Yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about this, you know, a million times. But we have gotten married, and this isn't the only tragedy or trauma or issue we've encountered in our, in our marriage. But we've talked about this in nu- numerous times. You know, what we have actually gotten married... Not just me agreeing, but her agreeing. If we would have realized beforehand what that actually meant, as far as as far as what we'd have to walk through, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's <laughs> that's a that's a hard a hard choice. I mean, thank goodness for blissful ignorance. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> um, but I mean, we're here. And, yeah, and we're. We're walking through it. Yeah. And I don't think I'd trade, you know, we talk about, when we have talked about that a lot. Like, well, if you, if you knew that this is what we'd have to walk through, you know, would we have still gotten married? Even in hindsight, though, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of it. Like, it was hard. But, man, like, so much fruit came out of that season, too. Yeah. And that's... That's the thing about bearing fruit is you have to go through hard seasons um, before you bear fruit. 
Yeah, you know? well, and those roots have to grow down deep. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. Like you don't just a, a fruit tree doesn't just shoot up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to it's got to take deep root before it can actually be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, so it's you know you're talking about would you want to go through those things, but those like uh, you know if you could take a time machine and, and change something in your past, what would you change? Well, anything that I would change in my past then changes me currently. So if I if I take away this thing, then how does that change me? And, and there's a lot of positive things about me and you know, a lot of positive things about you that have been born out of um, trauma or strife or negativity from our past. So do you really want to wish those things away? No. Or do you just want to move forward in the positivity that it's brought? Yeah, yeah. Well, and I even think about like, and this is probably a little bit cliched, but there's that story where this little boy is watching this butterfly try to emerge from the cocoon. And the the, the little boy is watching this butterfly struggle and he hates watching him struggle. So he he kind of tears apart the cocoon to help this butterfly get out. But the butterfly never actually is able to fly because part of the process of that butterfly coming out of that cocoon is their wings get strengthened by the resistance and having to break out of the cocoon. And so the only reason that butterfly is able to fly is because it has to struggle to get out of that cocoon. And as cliched as that is, I think like that's so true in life, but that's proven so true in our lives and even in our marriage, like that struggle is what has made it strong. Yeah. You ask any strength athlete out there, CrossFit, strongman, powerlifting, you know, Olympic lifting, whatever. Um, they go through a lot of pain and torture to get strong. And if they went back and took that pain and torture away, then they wouldn't be as strong as they are. It's just part of the process of, of growing, of maturing and becoming who you're supposed to be. Yeah. What, what's it like being a caregiver at such a young age for your spouse? Um, Cause I can't imagine there's a lot of people that understand a lot of your peers that understand what that's like. Was that isolating? I don't know. Um, I would agree that there's not of a, a lot of my peers or friends that understand. Um, I, I guess it could be isolating. I don't know. I, I don't really have a good answer for what's it like to be a caregiver at a young age. It just, and it's just kind of how I've gone on with a lot of the issues that we've had in our lives. A lot of the, the struggles is, you know, it is what it is. This is, this is my lot for right now. Um, so just push through it, you know, shut your mouth. Don't complain. Just move <laughs> on. Um, and I'm not saying that for everybody. I'm just saying that's kind of how I mm-hmm. handled and processed it. Um, you know, yeah, it's good to have have people, um, I guess, have pity on you, right? Uh, I don't know if pity's the right word. But uh, to 
share their condolences. Or, oh, man, that's so, I'm so sorry. You're like, oh, okay, thanks for acknowledging. Yeah. You know, that, that I'm going through a hard time. Yeah. That I'm really struggling. So I really appreciate that. You know, it makes me feel better about yeah. it. Um, well, caregiving is really, especially when you're caregiving for a family member is, and I, you know, I work in hospice, so I see this all the time, but it's a very, it's very thankless and it's very mm-hmm. exhausting. Yeah. Cause you were trying to, you know, you were taking care of me. You were, cause I had to sleep in a recliner for weeks on end. So we were in our spare bedroom. That bed was horribly uncomfortable. So and you're up and down with me all night long, and then you've got to go to work the next day because somebody's got to provide for the family. So I yeah, because to- in the middle of all this that you didn't say on the last podcast is you were out of work for six months, and you're the primary care, uh, you're the primary um, Bread breadwinner, you know, in our household. So yeah, it's not like I could just take long-term disability, which isn't a thing for this. Uh, it wouldn't apply. But it's not like I could just not go to work so I could stay home and take care of you because we're not independently wealthy. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's just, it's a lot on a caregiver's shoulders then. Because it's it not, is. you know, it's not just like, oh, you know, you get out of work and you're like, oh, hey, I'm going to stay, not that you drink, but, you know, I'm going to stop and, you know, at the bar on the way home or do whatever. You're like, no, I got to get home and make sure my wife survived the day with, you know, whatever she has going on. And then. Well, and then there's the kid, you know, there's yeah. our, there's our son too. Yeah. We got to try to take care of in the middle of all of it. Yeah. So it really was. You know, at least, at least a full year to some degree of caregiving yeah. from from uh, helping you get dressed and shower, making sure you didn't fall in the shower, catching you when you did. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, to just picking up and cleaning the house and... And whatever, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like you've been able to turn that caregiver off now that I've gotten a little bit more independent? Do you feel like you can get away from that where you feel like, oh, I have to manage everything? Um, I would say maybe 90%. <laughs> okay, that's There's still good. probably a little bit that, okay. uh, <laughs> you know, we could work on there. <laughs> um, I mean, for the most part, yeah, because... I mean, you're not sick like you were. Yeah. You still have issues. Yeah. Yeah. That that limit you. You know, the nausea, you know, comes and goes, the the diabetes. Yeah. Um some of the physical issues from from that as far as uh you know, losing losing a lot of your flexibility actually has kind of turned into a thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um so there there's still some you know, three years down the road, three and a half, there's still some, you know, some minor things that are, okay, we got to step up and we just got to do this because how else is it going to get done? Yeah. Um, but the vast majority of everything, yeah, that was, I mean, I would say at least 50% at a year or so. Yeah. Just kind of ballparking. Yeah. You know, able to kind of give some stuff back, but uh, um, yeah, it's it's been a challenge 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, so we talk about the beauty and the brokenness and we, you know, we talk about that, that caregiver role that you played in amidst my brokenness. You kind of had a cool and unique way. I think that you started taking care of yourself kind of as I gained more independence and started going back to work a little bit. You had a new sport that you got involved in. You want to share a little bit about that journey? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it really does coincide with, with your, your story. I think it was the hospitalization in July, maybe. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. That, that you were there. Um, I was at home alone and, uh, which anybody knows is a very actually dangerous place for a hurting, (laughs) broken, tired, alone man to be is alone. Um, but I was at home alone and, and I got on Hulu and I, I saw this, uh, mini series TV show that the history channel had put on called the strongest man in history. And what it was, is it took, um, four professional strong men. I'll skip past all their details. Um, high level top international competing professional strongmen. And took them to a couple different places around the world to um, investigate and recreate famous feats of strength from history. And so I started watching this stuff, and I'm like, man, that's really cool. I really like it. And then you were still in the hospital, and our son came home, and uh, then he and I watched it, and we both really liked it. Then Maria came home, and um, she's like, I don't want to watch this. Because she felt so weak. Yeah. She didn't want to have that. Like, okay, that's fine. Well, we'll finish this, and then we'll turn something else on. And so she was getting exposed to it, and then she wanted to watch it. So it's only like five or six episodes. So in a month, I ended up watching it like four times. Yeah, History Channel, if any of you are listening, we'd love a second season of Strongest Man in History. (laughs) So... um, I was watching that, and then I had a a, a a situation with a friend. I was helping a friend move some stuff, and, and somebody had said, well, let Michael get in this position. We're struggling to get this thing moved, and, you know, let Michael do this because, you know, he's strong. And so we got it moved, and that was the first time in a long time that me, as an overweight man, um, felt strong. And it was such a boost for for my self-image in that moment. Like, oh, man, I feel strong. And so in that time, I also had a really bad physical uh, that I kept from you. <laughs> and, um, and so I decided to start working out. And so I slowly started working out again and got to the place where I'm like, you know, I want to try to compete in strongman. There are a ton of competitions, amateur competitions um, around the U.S. So um, I worked out for a good solid year or more, um, entered my first strongman competition down in Kentucky and uh, have been doing that since. Yeah, that's been a cool journey to see you because it has been like such an awesome way for you to take care of yourself and... yeah yeah it's just been cool it's your son and I have such a good time just like cheering you on 
And I love that you're part of this sport where like, you don't have to be this little tiny, you know, thin ripped athlete. Like it's Mm -hmm. this sport that really, I don't know. It just kind of includes any and everybody. Like I love going and seeing, you know, it's not just a men's sport. So, you know, women compete too. And you go see these people with all these different body sizes and it just feels really inclusive. And Mm -hmm. so I love that you were able to find this sport where it makes you feel strong. It's been good for you physically, mentally, and emotionally. Well, and and talking about like the sizes, right? Um, I was working out and I I hit a, I got a 300 pound deadlift. And I remember deadlifting that saying, man, I think I need to get a weight belt because I'm worried I'm going to you know, pop a hernia or something if I get much heavier. Um, and so I started researching it and I found this company, which is just a dude and his wife making weight belts, um, weightlifting belts, handmade, great quality. And um, I'm, I'm talking to him and he's like, you know, let me know, answer any questions you got. And I just didn't know what I was doing. So I'm asking him all these questions. So I ended up ordering one from him. He's like, all right, let me, let me know your waist size. And I forget, I forget what it was, um, but I told him, and when I, I messaged him what the size was, he's like, um, I, I'd message it to him. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of big. I, you know, I don't know if that's possible or if it's too big or whatever. And he said, dude, this is strong, man. That's that's like average. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's not too big. That's normal where you're at. I'm like, oh, oh. So for me, um, you know, it really helped because I also had a season where I had, um. I had uh, my employer actually, you know, right before that for a couple of years was calling me fat all the time. And so it helped me, Strongman helped me transition my opinion and mind about myself physically, you know, because if I was lifting weights, if I was lifting heavy weights, you know, 200 pounds overhead, 500 pounds deadlift, you know, whatever it was, if I could do that, then I felt strong. I didn't feel fat. Yeah. Um, so that was allowed me to make a shift um, in my mind yeah. about my own body image. Yeah. And you've been able to find people who have really been an encouragement to you. I mean, I think of Chris mm-hmm. at Belt Fed Strength, who mm-hmm. you were talking about, and then your coach, Christine, is mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, she just has a way of encouraging you in a oh, way that man. nobody else has ever been able to reach you. Yeah, so the people we're talking about is Christopher Yarber at BeltFedStrength.com, um, uh, a Marine, and that's based where, you know, their kind of the name came from and just amazing craftsmanship. And they they can turn your weightlifting belt into a work of art. It is unbelievable. Um, and then my, my coach, um, who programs me and helps me with form and training, um, Christine Matthews, um, also known as Panda. She's a professional, uh, professional strong woman, lightweight, strong woman. She competes in the 140 pound weight class. Yeah. That sounds um, right. Um, so just in, and with her, you know, I'll, I'll go to her with these like fears, 
injury fears or, um, you know, body image fears or am I ever going to do anything or this or that. And, you know, she's really able to, to help speak into that. And, um, there's been times she's, she's responded to me and I'm like, man, that's, that's just what I needed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She's been, she's been really awesome about that. So I'm so thankful for her. So thankful for Christopher. I'm so thankful for the sport period. Mm -hmm. So, and with that, Michael, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. I hope that if you are somebody who is acting as a caregiver for a loved one, I hope that Michael's story has given you some hope. I think the big takeaway is, uh, yes, it's hard and it can be isolating. And where Michael really found his healing was in beginning to take care of himself and shifting that focus not just from being this sole caretaker of a family, but also recognizing that he needed to take care of himself in order to be there for us. And so I hope that that is the hope that you you as caregivers get out of this and the encouragement that you can and you should take care of yourselves, no matter those that you're taking care of around you. So thank you for joining us today. Um, We hope you'll be with us again next time as we share more stories of brokenness and healing.